Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Nothing Impossible on News Radio 1120. KMOX. Welcome in, Michael and Travis, with you as we dive into St. Louis's future as a tech city and maybe a little bit into your future at Bush Stadium, interacting with some of that tech as uh, we, we talk about local innovation from business to civic issues here on Nothing Impossible. You know, we've, we've been doing the show for almost, seems like three years now, and we never run out of stories, and that's because people are always innovating in St. Louis. Absolutely. Coming up on this program, we're going to take a trip to Ballpark Village, talk with the president of the Cardinals about why you're seeing so many cranes downtown. And we're also going to talk about uh, the, some of the tech scene. We'll, we'll talk to uh, M.L. Helbig, who is the executive director of I-10, one of the organizations really supporting the tech ecosystem here. And who's bringing these folks in to join the tech ecosystem? Arch Grants is a major component of that. And Emily Lose Bush from Arch Grants not only handing out $50,000 to convince startups to move here, but taking that sales pitch on the road to VentureBeat. So we'll talk with her about St. Louis's big selling points. See, that all, it's a nice continuity, right? Uh, uh, ML and I-10 helps prepare startups to be ready for capital and investment. Uh, Arch Grants helps provide these startups with capital, and they're here. They have to enjoy, enjoy the amenities, so they catch a game at Bush Stadium. And you know what? I bet most of them have smartphones, too, which is a good thing because at Bush Stadium this season, there are some changes coming to how you get inside. Here's Carrie Emerson, who's the director of Ticket Ops. So what we're doing this year is retiring our print-at-home ticket delivery. So you no longer have to use your paper at home to print your tickets out before you come to the game. We are moving to a mobile version where you can download the MLB Ballpark app and your tickets will be right there waiting inside the app with your phone at all times. So it is the most convenient and most secure way to access your tickets. This is good news because I don't even have a printer at home, Travis. I can't even print I buy tickets. I'm, I'm like, do I go into work first or what do I do? So Here, this is good news. I'm going to tell you this very real story. When uh, when I was still living downtown before I moved to Old North, we were going to a baseball game. Uh, our printer, we had one, but it was completely out of ink because I don't know the last <laughs> time I used it. We walked down to the ballpark. They tell us that we have to print them somewhere. So we, then we walk to the central library, uh, mm. use our library cards to access the computers, print them out for free or maybe 10 cents a copy, and then go back to the ballpark. Now, I, my Fitbit and my waistline appreciated all those extra steps I was getting, but I would have rather just used my smartphone and gotten right into the game. Yes, yes, yes. But what if you? Uh, what if your grandparents are going? They don't know how to use their smartphone, and they would like some paper tickets or... You know, some people like to have that ticket stub as a souvenir. What does Carrie say about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, that's one thing for users that don't have a smartphone or, you know, still prefer that physical printed ticket. We still offer that as an option when you're purchasing tickets. So, you know, like I said, if, you know, before seven dates, we'll be more than happy to mail that ticket to you. Or if it's within seven days, you could pick it up here at the ticket office. Got to go to the ticket office, though. You know, I, I do think there is some nostalgia around ticket stubs, right? I mean, we, we hold on to concert tickets. Uh, you're at Game 7 of a very critical Game 7. I've never been to a critical Game 7. Uh, <laughs> but we hold on to these stubs, and I guess a screenshot on your phone probably just isn't the same, is it's it? It's just not the same, but neither <laughs> is a folded-up, printed-out ticket. So, you know, that get that gets rid of that at least. Well, 
We're going to continue on the baseball theme for another segment. We'll talk with Bill DeWitt III about progress at Ballpark Village and what it means for St. Louis's first impression for visitors. That's up next on Nothing Impossible on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on KMOX. All right, let's catch up with Michael's conversation. He went out to Ballpark Village and chatted with Cardinals president Bill DeWitt III. Do you have a view of this construction site from your office in the stadium? I do. It's right up there, so I see it every day. And um, I've likened it sort of to watching water boil. Um, When you're watching, it doesn't go fast, but if you kind of go away and come back, it's remarkable how much they get done in a short period of time. How do you feel seeing, I feel like the glass is a big step. Once you see that facade start to go up, it really begins to get real. Yeah, it does. And that office building behind me is... um, pretty much topped off in terms of how high it's going to be. Obviously it needs the skin and all the interior stuff, but um, that's the first to come online. And then the hotel over my right shoulder is um, is also coming online. It's almost topped off as well. It's exciting. How do you think Cardinals fans, especially those who come in, will feel about seeing this and maybe their perceptions of the city or downtown, and then they see these cranes and they see these buildings and the glass going up. What do you think kind of perception change that might bring about? Well, first of all, I think most people are going to be blown away by how much has happened in uh, the off season, and if they haven't, you know, don't work down here or come down a lot. So that's going to be that initial wow moment on opening day. Uh, but I think it also is a bigger picture thing that um, fans are going to realize that we're investing in downtown and that we're investing in the team, we're investing in downtown, and so are other people. Um, You know, they're doing an aquarium in Union Station. They just finished the Arch Grounds renewal. Um, There's other hotels being done. So it's it's really exciting. And fans are just going to have that feeling that downtown's on the move and that we are investing in the future of this city. How do you feel seeing these other cities, Little Caesars Arena, SunTrust Park, doing their own kind of ballpark villages? But it seems like the idea originated here. So how do you feel about seeing this idea blossom outside of other sports facilities all over the place? Well, they say, uh, I guess, copying is the sincerest form of flattery, right? So uh, to some extent, I don't think we invented it. Obviously, um, what we saw in certain ballparks that was that development had grown up organically around them to take advantage of the energy of the game day experience and the fact that it is a good place to live and work and play next to a ballpark. Uh, I think we were the first to really design it from scratch to where the the new ballpark and the development next door were supposed to work seamlessly together. And so you're seeing now a lot of teams doing that. In fact, the Braves have jumped ahead of us from a timing standpoint. They built their new ballpark and the development next door, the battery that's almost done. So um, we've taken our time, but I think a lot of teams are starting to notice and looking at what we've done and most of them have come and visited to see what we're doing. It's it's pretty fun to be able to host my counterparts and show them what we've been doing. So what's the timeline for all of this? It's kind of a, kind of a rolling opening. We have the um, office tower comes first later this summer. As I mentioned, the, the Bush 2 infield gets replaced around the All-Star break. Uh, then the health club opens later in the year. And then as you turn the calendar next year, Uh, You have the hotel and the uh, apartment building and a bunch of other retail coming online. So uh, it's kind of something new almost every month as we get into the summer. How soon do you want to announce a two-cardinal way? 
Uh, two Carton Away uh, is probably going to be announced soon. Uh, although, are you referring to like another apartment tower for for a third phase? I think there's a good shot at that. You know, our, our early leasing has been really good, uh, but we're still about a year plus out, so we got to see how that goes. But I have no uh, doubt that a phase three will come, and I would think it would include some residential, hopefully some office, and some additional retail. All right, so exciting stuff coming from Ballpark Village. And speaking of exciting stuff, we're going to jump in and talk about the sibling rivalry that exists between Kansas City and St. Louis as tech ecosystems. We're going to chat with Mary Louise Helbig from ITIN. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back. Michael and Travis with you. And, you know, we always love to find out how we can track St. Louis's progress uh, in growing a tech city, you know, in comparison to some of our peer cities or what are the different metrics that you use uh, to measure success, to know where we stand? Well, and just like the Cardinals and the Royals have this I-70, uh, I guess, rivalry that might exist, we could say there's a bit of a tech rivalry between the hub in Kansas City and the hub here in St. Louis. Friendly rivalry. We want mm-hmm. all. We want the state of Missouri to do really well. Uh, but there yeah, was this a, is St. Louis, Kansas City, not St. Louis, Chicago. That's right. So yeah. we're very friendly on this one. This one, we're, yeah, this one we're okay with. But there was a recent, uh, I guess it was an Inc. story, is that right, Michael, yeah. that, that had this new list? And what? tell us about that. Yeah, well, it's the 50 best places in America for starting a business. And Inc. says St. Louis is number 33 uh, on their Surge Cities Index. And Kansas City comes in at number 40. Inc. Uh, says that the home of the Gateway Arch might be better known as the Turnaround City, uh, saying that especially the hub of ag tech activity that's been blossoming here has really helped to boost St. Louis after experiencing a decline for 15 years. St. Louis has increased its rate of business creation every year since 2009. And they cite T-Rex, Cortex, and 39 North. Well, let's cite one other uh, very important ecosystem player, which is I-10. Uh, some people think of it as the IT Entrepreneurs Network, uh, but we have Mary Louise Helbig, or ML, uh, as she's known in the, within the community. Uh, ML, you're the executive director of I-10. You are intimately involved with the tech ecosystem here in St. Louis. What have you seen? How is it maturing, progressing over the last few years? Yeah, so thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it is progressing in in a big and profound way. And even I'm always sometimes surprised that even people from within the region that don't even realize the amount of activity and things that are going on. So as a point of reference, um, I've been involved myself directly in several different tech startups. And one was about 10 years ago when I-10 actually was founded. And, you know, it was a pretty uh, quiet landscape at that time. But um, if you, if you look back and then look, you know, from today back, say, 10 years ago, um, as a point of reference, there were probably about 10 accelerators throughout the entire United States. And today there's over 160 accelerators and the number's growing. So even in St. Louis, the number of accelerators has grown significantly. I think we're at around eight right now. Um, so that just kind of gives you a, a point of reference of as far as the amount of activity that's going on across you know, kind of the United States, but even here in our own backyard in St. Louis. And Mary Louise, for folks who, you know, it's always fun to have a conversation with somebody who's not familiar with the startup community or how these ecosystems are, uh, because it's, uh, you know, all these different terms kind of guide people through what the what the <laughs> ecosystem, you've got these facilities that startups work out of, you've got investment firms. Uh, walk us through a little bit of uh, some of these terms. 
Yeah, I apologize if I if I jump into kind of some of the lingo too quickly, but because there is a lot of like anything, um, you know, whether it's a business or uh, an ecosystem, it you know you, you develop your own vocabulary. But um, you know, we kind of in the most simple terms, we kind of look at it in kind of four buckets. So there are the investors, the people who will invest in startup companies, uh, who are very important and critical um, to the startups. There are um, educational resources, so that can be uh, our university systems or other um, programs that, such as that teach coding and things like that, such as Launch Code and Savvy Coders. Um, there are uh, facilities, so uh, works co-working spaces um, that are available, like at Cortex or T-Rex. And then there's this whole kind of big bucket of resources entrepreneur resource and support organizations. So those are the organizations like I-10 that provide programming and services to help those uh, startup entrepreneurs along their journey from idea stage through to commercializing and standing up a business. And, and Mary Louise, what are some of the like common challenges? I mean, I-10 works with a number of different uh, startups over its, it has over its, uh, you know, tenure. What, is there a common theme? Where do, where do startups typically struggle? Yeah, so, um, yeah, we've, in 10 years, we've had the pleasure of working with over 850 tech startups from the St. Louis region. And at any given time, we're working with probably about 125 active companies. The common challenges that we see for startups, um, usually come in two areas. Um, and I'm, again, making this really simple. There's a lot of challenges to being in a startup, but in the simplest terms, um, I kind of like start at 100,000 feet. And uh, from that perspective, it's uh, the companies that are pre-product. So it's someone that has an idea and maybe they're, they're trying to build or building their first prototype. So that stage of a company is when they're really doing a lot of work around proof of concept. So it's really trying to test out and validate if the idea that they have, um, you know, really can turn into a viable business. So taking them through that journey is is kind of the first big hurdle. And then the second one is once they get past that, they develop a product. They might have what we call a, a minimal viable product, an MVP. They've got customers touching it, using it, uh, giving them feedback, and they're starting to get into market. And then they have to uh, really start raising uh, more significant amounts of money to really build and scale their business. So those are the kind of the two critical um areas that that we see companies trying to work through. And and we provide programs and services along with our other community partners to help them through those, you know, through that journey and through those stages. Okay. So the, uh, I have an idea now, how do I create a prototype in an early product? And then I have the product, I might be selling it, but how do I scale? Like those, like those are two very critical parts of of a business. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. and so you didn't mention capital. You didn't mean mention access to money. Is is that have we solved that challenge in St. Louis? Money is everywhere. Congratulations. Um, yeah. No. Unfortunately, money is not everywhere, and um, and that is the challenge. And um, you know, it's been in the news um, that you know that's a, a a gap we have to fill. And I actually see a gap in two areas. And one area where people aren't really talking very much about, and that is that early stage, that pre-product stage, that proof of concept stage, um, that is where somebody, an entrepreneur, they might need uh, anywhere from, say, ten to $50,000 to uh, 
to do research, do proof of concept research, actually start building their, their prototype on their product and things like that. And, um, you know, not everybody has access to that kind of money. Not everybody has the personal wealth or network even to get ten to $50,000. So I see a void there that I'd like for our community to talk more about and address. Um, but also then later on um, when they're raising, um, you know, they're going through seed stage, kind of the $250,000 raise up to a million. Um, we have some good resources in the community for that. Those are our accelerators and our, our contests like Arch Grants, our accelerators like Capital Innovators and, and our FinTech accelerators and things like that. Um, but then beyond that stage, when people really get into Series A, um, that is where St. Louis um, has struggled to attract um, that scale of investor. We're talking with Mary Louise Helbig, who's the executive director of I-10 here in St. Louis. And Mary Louise, as you're working on the latest iteration of your, your study, all these numbers, the latest impact report uh, that we expect to, to hear about sometime in April, uh, what are the latest uh, insights into St. Louis, especially the demographics? Who is involved in the startup scene in St. Louis? Because, you know, people conjure up the image of, uh, I don't know, Mark Zuckerberg with a hoodie and, and wearing yeah. flip-flops <laughs> and, you know, uh, sitting at the computer, you know, for hours on end just coding. But what is what is the real face of folks who are involved in the startup scene in St. Louis? Yeah, so um, <laughs> interesting analogy, but um, it's it's really a, a diverse group of people, and we purposefully work toward, <clears throat> excuse me, making sure that, um, that a broad and diverse community um, is aware of the services that we have to offer them. And uh, we track that every year, and as you said, our impact report um, will be released April 11th. Um, but we look at um, you know, the, the diversity um, characteristics of our founders. Um, we know that we have uh, 13% are immigrants and 23% are African-American or Hispanic. Um, and that number has, has grown from 16% just two years ago. And we're also really happy to see our female founder numbers increase. So um, we were at about 18% in 2016, and in 2018, our numbers are 32% are female founders. So those are the things that we keep an eye on and really have programs um, such as that we're involved in, such as the Vision Diversity um, and Inclusion Symposium. Um, and also the age of founders is kind of interesting. So um, we do have about 9% that are over 50, uh, but the bulk of our, our founders are um, 36% are between 25 and 34, and 41% are between 35 and 49. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it's a diverse and evolving group, and it depends upon where people are in their careers and if they're coming upon different milestones or changes, you know, maybe career changes, and it's time for them to make that leap. And um, so, yeah, we're, we're here to support um, everybody and anybody that has scalable, innovative tech. Well, Mary Louise, what I, what I like about those numbers is it's starting to shift uh, in a way that resembles the St. Louis community a lot more. Right. From yes. from age to gender to uh, to ethnicity, uh, 
admittedly, the tech community still has a ways to go before it really uh, creates this level of equity that's that's truly needed in most communities. But congratulations to you and the team at I-10 over just over a two-year period. These weren't numbers you were saying that's been the change over 10 years. This is pretty substantial change just even over the last two years. Right, right, yeah. And, and we are, thank you, we are very proud of that, and we're very happy to see our efforts are paying off. So we have this Kansas City-St. Louis comparison we, we opened with, uh, <laughs> and, and I, I, don't, I can't remember if I mentioned it, but there was a, a startup that just raised $100 million in Kansas mm-hmm. City, which is a pretty, pretty amazing. That's which St. Louis City government, they provide payment services to municipalities and governments. St. Louis City government uses them. You get, I think it's a parking ticket. Or, or some sort of uh, transaction with the government? Oh, well, then I have definitely yeah. helped. If it's parking yeah. tickets, then I've, paid, yeah, I've, I've, played, I've played my that. part. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, ML, talk, can you talk a little bit about this, uh, just as we're wrapping up here, about this Kansas City-St. Louis rivalry? Is this, is this a situation where uh, this rivalry is really making each city stronger uh, because of this focus and this collaboration? Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's funny that, that uh, you guys are, are focused on that. And um, it is kind of like a sibling rivalry, I think. I think um, I think there's uh, competition, but there's also, you know, love uh, for each other. So it's good, healthy competition. Um, we have had the pleasure of um, actually uh, working with uh, EDCKC, their economic development organization, and bringing some of ITEN's programming over to their innovation community. So, um, you know, so I, I'd like to think of it as sibling rivalry um, in that, um, you know, we, we really do uh, have respect for each other and we, we do want each other to do well. But sure, there's, there's a little bit of, of competition there. Um, and, um, you know, and I actually very much admire Kansas City for um, they do a fantastic job um, telling the story for the overall, you know, what's going on in the city. And I think that's something that here in St. Louis we can do better. I think we need to do a better job at telling the region's story um, because there's a lot of good news here. And I'm just not sure um, it's really getting getting out there in the way it should. There's a lot that's... Uh... STL made, you could say, yeah, that we need a... to be more aware of. Right, right. There, you know, so that that was a very happy and exciting announcement to have and and hopefully the platform for us to to tell St. Louis's story in a in a bigger and better way. Well Mary Louise, as we're wrapping up, uh, where can people go to find out more information about I ten and get connected, be part of this change? Absolutely. So there's a couple things. So our website is i10stl.org, I-T-E-N-S-T-L.org. And a couple things there. So um, this ecosystem, if they want to learn about this a little bit more, um, we have a map on our site. Uh, it's a crazy spider web map, but it'll help people get familiar with um, what we talked a little bit about earlier about the, what is going on, who's doing what in the ecosystem. Of course, when you get to our website, there's opportunities to participate. If you're a startup, there's a button to sign up. All of our programs and services are free to startups. We're always looking for talented mentors that, can, that are subject matter expertise experts to help our, um, our startup entrepreneurs. And then we also have a corporate innovation program where we work with area corporations to make curated connect uh, introductions to the startup community. So we do it in a way that really makes sure that those those introductions and those meetings and meetups are done in a in a productive way, and it's it's really beneficial for both the corporation 
and the startups that are participating. So all of that's on our website. And, of course, um, would love to extend an invitation to everyone to join us on April 11th at Venture Cafe at 530 when we release our 2018 impact report and updated ecosystem maps. Great. And you can also meet some of the people behind not just I-10, but the people that represent this, these data, the, the entrepreneurs. So, ML, uh, yep. thank, you, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's always exciting to hear about I-10 and its continued growth. And, uh, you know, we, it's fun to talk about the, the sibling rivalry we have with our uh, <laughs> brother slash sister uh, to the west of us. Yes, yes, definitely. Mary Louise Helbig from I-10, Executive Director. Thank you so much as we continue on KMOX. Now, back to Nothing Impossible on Kangam OX. Welcome back in. This is Travis and Michael, and we are joined uh, by Emily Loge Bush, the executive director of Arch Grants. And for our listeners, Arch Grants is this wonderful organization that gives away money. I'm not going to pause there. Two startups that are looking to scale and grow in St. Louis. Emily, thanks so much for joining us. Happy to do it. Tell us, uh, so I, I, did I capture Arch Grants co- correctly enough, or is there anything we need to correct there? How do you describe Arch Grants to people? No, I mean, I think you, you captured it really well. The, the, what I, the only thing I would add to that is that what I always say is that we are building, building the future economy in St. Louis by attracting and retaining extraordinary entrepreneurs. The way that we do that is um, through this $50,000 non-dilutive grant that we give to 20 companies every year. Um, but the... As, as we've grown as an organization, it's become very clear, and the ecosystem around St. Louis has grown so much that the the, the fifty thousand continues to be a carrot. It's undeniable. But then the the support services and the the way that people are able to be integrated into this ecosystem is hugely valuable. Kind of reminds me of when, uh, you know, for instance, the Cardinals with Paul Goldschmidt. Their hope was he'll get to St. Louis. And then he'll just fall in love with it here. He'll love the environment. He'll love the team. He'll love the atmosphere. And then he'll sign a long-term deal. Seems like it's kind of the same approach with Arch Grants. We'll get you here. And then once you're here, your business will take off. We'll give you all the help you'll need. And you'll love it here. And you'll wind up staying. Is that is that and kind of the approach? Exactly. That's exactly it. You stay for the vibe. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a, what a great farm system, right? What a great way to, uh, to build the next generation of enterprise or worldwide technology uh, or Anheuser-Busch. Is that so, sort of the, the, the goal, right? The next I generation, mean, as you said? Uh, that, I mean, honestly, that's the primary goal, really. And that's why we're industry agnostic. That's why we um, we support the entrepreneurs, even if even if and this has happened in, um, in several cases where the first company that they founded that they got the arts grant for has either they've either sold it or they moved on to something else or it didn't end up working out. And the entrepreneur we will support in perpetuity. So, um, perfect example of that is, and I think you you may have talked to him uh, on the, on this show, but Blake. Margraf from eFarmix got a got an arch grant uh, for his company Betabox that um, he now moved on to eFarmix, started eFarmix in St. Louis, and he will tell anybody who asks that the reason that he started that second company here and the reason he's here is because of arch grants and what he learned through that process about St. Louis. There are a few examples of that. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, um, was it Marshall Haas from yeah. a startup that was purchased uh, even brought other people to St. Louis, and they started Need Want then here after that. Absolutely. And he bought a building downtown. That's another really good example of um, it's, it's you, once you're here, you stay for the vibe. So it's the STL made, right? Startup, <laughs> stand out, stay. Well, we're getting a lot of STL made references in this show, which is 
Perfect. I think it's a great way to to show that this um, that there's a lot of pride in things that are truly STL made. And even the people that uh, transplant to St. Louis as a result of arch grants quickly, um, they become STL made. They become St. Louisans pretty fast. Uh, Emily, do you have any numbers as to how many people not only start up and ultimately stay? Yeah, I mean, so what we have is and. Our most recent numbers um, that actually we just collected a couple of weeks uh, weeks ago, we finalized this. Um, we have 134 companies that we've funded. 109 of those are still in business, and 85% of those companies are still headquartered and based right here in St. Louis. Um, number of jobs that they've created over the seven years um, is right around 1,670. Um, but then that doesn't even take into account the companies. I think there are six of them at this point that are the um, examples like eFarmix and NeedWant and some of the others. Uh, Claim Academy, Ola, uh, Ola, we funded Eateria, which is his first company, and yeah. he moved here from Chicago. And um, Claim Academy, obviously, has gotten all kinds of, of recognition. We're talking with Emily from Arch Grants, and you were just at the VentureBeat Blueprint Conference, and I see you up on stage. People, you know, paying attention eagerly to what you're saying with uh, giant screens in back of you, uh, saying St. Louis buzzing with potential. Yeah, um, it was, they had reached out, um, they did, I think they did their first conference out in Reno last year, and I wasn't able to attend, but it gotten some really good feedback. They're specifically looking at um, what's happening in the heartland. So um, the way that they're defining the heartland is fairly broad. Venture um, being from, from San Francisco, it's kind of anything between the coasts. Um, but they brought together economic development folks, startup folks, um, people in the AI and automation and, and robotics area specifically this year, which was really um, and just had different conversations. And um, what I was part of, like, what those pictures were from, is a lightning round that I did where we each had five cities had seven minutes to make a case for their city. Um, what's happening there? What's special about each city? Um, and it was incredible because it was, None of the five cities, I, I was a little bit worried, you know, that it was going to end up being, we're the, we're the best city for XYZ, and, and so are we. But it was really clear from those intimate um, lightning rounds what each city was best at, and, and it wasn't the same. And so what, is, uh, what, are, some, what are some of St. Louis's uh, selling marks that you are out there talking about often? Yeah, so the, the idea of the buzzing with potential, um, I talked a lot about the that there's the general electric energy that you're feeling in the urban core around the potential here, what people are building, the, the passion and, uh, with which people are building it. So it goes back to, honestly, that, that whole, um, the, the whole idea that the STL made campaign has pulled out so effectively, which is the, what, what is the pride of, of ownership here in St. Louis? And it's this idea that, um, that the things that the companies, the incredible ideas that come out of this town are truly STL made. Um, and so what the things that I was talking about is, um, so for example, I was, um, Minneapolis was another city that was, was up there doing one. And they talked a lot about how they really have a core competency in, in scaling um, and taking uh, your kind of mid-sized enterprise companies and scaling them to be, Fortune 500, um, Fortune 100 companies, um, which is really interesting because that because I actually took the approach of 
for St. Louis, it's that idea of that that scrappiness, the grassroots, the building starting with your one, your two, five employees, and then building to twenty, and building to fifty, and building an idea in the at the same time that has national and international reach, but doing it from from this market that has everything you need and, and is navigable enough that you can you can get that done um, from from a, from a, a perspective that you couldn't do in other cities. So that's a lot of, of what my uh, talk was about. Well, and I, I really, let's, if we go back to the, the three pillars or the three areas of STL made, the startup, standout, and stay, that what ArchGrants really provides is that, uh, that, that crucial middle area, right? The ability yeah. to stand out. Uh, ArchGrants has quickly been standing out as a national model. There's other cities that are wanting to replicate uh, ArchGrants. Uh, I introduced you, Emily, I sent you an email and introduced you to one city that's just like, how do right. we do this? Like these, ArchGrants is a standout uh, but your entrepreneurs are also standing out. Before we move on to the, the competition deadlines and whatnot, what role does the civic community play in helping these entrepreneurs really stand out, giving them a broader platform for their early-stage company? Yeah, I mean, it's huge. So the three things that, that our entrepreneurs are time and time again, um, that struggle, I wouldn't say struggling with, but are, are um, grappling with as they look at their own growth and their own scalability, it's um, following capital continues to be something where people in St. Louis, whether it be a family office, a, um, you know, a fund or an angel investor, whatever it is, can always be helpful in, in understanding and being willing to deploy some of that riskier capital. Um, and then a big one that we've really been touting lately is customer, customer pipeline, customer acquisition. And it doesn't have to be an enterprise level um, integration, it can be pilots. What a lot of these companies are looking for is proof of concept. And so if there's something really interesting happening um, in, um, in you know, one of our companies this year um, that we funded in 2018 is in the AI space for um, legacy businesses. They're called Thermo AI. Um, and um, they, they provide uh, legacy um, systems and power plants and in coal and in those areas with artificial intelligence learning that, that maximizes the efficiency of those processes. What he's looking for right now are, where can I get in, do small-scale pilots, and get some proof of concept? There are so many opportunities in St. Louis for civic um, leaders and companies and corporate leaders to engage with the startups in that way. Well, and I want to again. Let's give a shout out to a lot of our listeners who are, uh, you know, business owners, business leaders in this community. Uh, listeners, please look at look for ways to engage startups. Be pilot opportunities for them. I think it's a great way to help these uh, not only help these startups gain traction, but help our legacy businesses continue to innovate and evolve. Absolutely, and yeah, and St. Louis can then stand out for for doing some of these things. I mean, these are these are in, incredible. Um, technologies that these companies are bringing here. And so to be able to utilize that resource in St. Louis is huge. Well, and St. Louis is is such a major market with these institutions, with these investors, with money, with these huge companies who are, who are more willing to help maybe than they might be in a larger city. But, and yet St. Louis is small enough that you can make a difference. You can make your mark and you can really, the second pillar, you can stand out. That is, that is like (laughs) the slogan for the region startup Stand out and stay right there. Well, yeah. if, well, Emily, if we want to get more people to start up uh, and uh, get connected to Arch Grants, you have uh, a cur- you're currently accepting applications. What tell us a little bit about the application process and what people can do to start up uh, here with Arch Grants? 
Yes, um, timing is really good for this. So our, our application period for the 2019 grants is open right now, and it will be closing on April 15th. So we've got just over two weeks left. Um, the application process is not, we, we very um, intentionally have tried to make it um, fairly simple at this stage to get your information in, just enough information so our judges can understand what you do and why you do it and what your potential is. Um, but April 15th, go to archgrants.org and um, click on the, the biggest link on the page right now, which is apply. And um, we'd love to see uh, St. Louis companies. And I think that's actually an important thing to, to mention is that, um, you know, your listeners are from all over. But we, we fund companies, 50% of our recipients are in St. Louis when they're funded by Archgrants and 50% are from elsewhere. We do that very intentionally because we not only want to attract talent here, which is a really important part of what we do, but we also want to make sure that the talented startup founders that we have here in St. Louis are supported so they don't feel they have to leave to, to grow their business. Well, Emily, what are a couple of, of examples, maybe a couple that stand out to you uh, from the last cohort? Yeah, I mean, gosh, this last cohort is, is just killing it. It's like um, picking your favorite child, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, I actually think there was a great article I just saw published, um, I think it was in the Business Journal this past week, um, about three of our, and I don't even think when he reached out to these companies, he re- recognized that they were all three 2018 Arch Grant recipients, but it was on Balto, Clever, and Swipe Some, which are three mm-hmm. of our um, 2018 recipients who are all looking for um, they're all growing incredibly rapidly and are looking for and or have just obtained space. So Swipe Thumb just moved onto the landing. Um, Clever Real Estate just uh, rented a whole bunch of space out um, in the Delmar Loop above Tivoli. And then I think Balto might still be in the process of finalizing. But um, those those companies are clearly growing at an exponential level. Thermo AI, the one that I just mentioned, um, uh, Yokendi from uh, Forefront is another one that I think is doing some incredible things in um, developing standards for uh, diversity and inclusion practices within large workplaces, which is obviously something that is, is needed. And, and to have a startup really focusing on that is, is pretty incredible. Well, Emily uh, Lois Bush, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and the address again, web address is archgrants.org. Uh, there are two really big buttons. Uh, one says apply for the competition, but Archgrants is also a nonprofit. So the other one says donate now. So uh, go to the website and do either one of those things. I think Emily would appreciate it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Emily. All right. So that's our show this week. We'll be back next week with more innovation, entrepreneurship, and telling the story of St. Louis. We'll talk to you then. Find the podcast, KMOX.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.